I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics from personal stories to hot button issues. We cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome to Frau Pow. We're your hosts, Odd and Rat. Today we have a real special treat. Uh, it comes with tea. <laughs> um, we get to, we had the opportunity to interview Ariel Clark who is a black, queer, polyamorous, 20-year-old cis woman who created Cis Got Tea, um, which is in response to the lack of sober spaces for LGBTQ plus folks in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so in this interview, you get to hear her talk about growing up in Louisville and trying to navigate the coming out while also being black, being queer, going to these parades where there's a lack of rec representation of, you know, black LGBTQ folks. Um, also, like the lack of sober spaces when drinking's not really your thing. Uh, we also get to learn about this precious gem of a cat, Alfonso, uh, that made us all melt. It's right at the beginning. It's like the hook, line, and sinker for the rest of the interview. So, I mean, it's it's just a Ariel is really providing. Uh, a space that was very much needed in that area and needed across the United States, I think. And this is just an awesome interview. So why don't we start off um, pretty simple? Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name's Ariel, obviously. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am a Black, queer, polyamorous, neurodivergent woman currently residing in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I am the owner of Siscott Tea, which is a Black-owned, LGBTQ-owned, woman-owned tea cafe here in the city of Louisville. 
don't have a physical location yet, but we're hoping to have one by the end of the year. And uh, so right now we're doing pop-up events around the city and we've received a lot of amazing community backing. Um, a little bit more about me personally. Um, I currently work in IT and I have a cat who is my whole entire life. Um, I absolutely love him. And I would give up the business for him if he asked me to. So <laughs> um, other things, I really enjoy naps. I really enjoy hot baths. And I'm just a pretty simple kind of gal. Um, so you have a unanimous approval from this entire room. <laughs> um, and I, I'm going to just ask the question on everybody's mind. Um, what is your cat's name and what does he look like? Um, his name is Alfonso. He is 10 years old and he's 18 pounds. So he's a big boy. <laughs> is he, um, is he like big or is he like chonky? He's chonky. Oh, he's that's chonky the best kind of cat. Big. Like my mom has two shih tzus and he's bigger than both of them. Like, <laughs> yes. and, and like in like girth. So he's just a big boy. Wonderful. Um, I think. I think the last time we got him measured from like, like when I hold him up, I think he's like three feet long. Oh, he sounds perfect. He's magnificent. He's a gray and white boy. And I also dress him in clothes. Obviously. So I will definitely send you photos of him. Uh, um, yeah. My favorite photo is of him in his polo. It's a little blue <gasps> polo. And I say that it's his business casual. Oh, <laughs> so the whole room is melting right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man. So I so I have a cat. His name is Ollivander. He is a um gray and black tabby. He's also a dick. He's also a huge asshole. I'm pretty sure that he's stolen, reincarnated, but I love him so much. He's a dumpster cat. He's a dumpster cat. Is that even when he's super happy, he always looks pissed. <laughs> He's just grumpy all the time. And people are like, oh, my God, is he unhappy? I'm like, no, he's purring right now. He's great. Like, he's living his life. <laughs> but he always looks mad. And because he's so chunky, he has to have help grooming himself. And so, like, he'll brace himself, like, up against a wall or up against the back of my couch just so he can hit all those angles. And so he'll climb up on the couch and then he'll lay against the back of it. And then he'll, like, huff and turn around and start licking himself. And I'm like... It's okay, bud. I have chronic pain. I too need support when I clean myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. like, that feels like me a little. Yeah. Right. I, well, so um, as someone um, who grew up in um, the South, I'm always really curious to hear mm -hmm. about your experience, um, especially growing up in um, a place like you did um, in Kentucky. Um mm -hmm. Uh, as like, how did that impact your childhood, especially as a, whew, yeah, as a black person, um, as a mm -hmm. woman, as a queer person, mm -hmm. um, and then anything around kind of concepts, especially where you're from in Kentucky, um, a lot mm -hmm. of the uh, culture revolves around the consumption of alcohol. Um, so I'd really mm -hmm. be interested in learning about that as well. Yeah, sure. So I was fortunate in that I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, which is one of the more progressive, like it's considered one of the more progressive cities in the state of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And so um, we were one of the first cities to pass the Fairness Ordinance, which is like um, discrimination against LGBTQ folks is no longer allowed by law, like all those different things. And I was surrounded by like growing up, coming into my queer identity, I was surrounded by some really good people. And but however... Kentucky still Kentucky. And so it's yeah. majority white. And so I grew up around a lot of white queer people. 
And the story that I always like to tell is in the, I feel like in my experience in the city of Louisville, this doesn't go for everybody. This is just my personal experience. When I was growing up, it was like, oh, wait until you're 15, 16. You can go to, it's called Kentuckiana because it's Kentucky and Indiana because we live I live like Louisville's right on the border of Southern Indiana. Mm-hmm. And so they call the whole viewing area, Kentuckiana. So it was like, Oh wait, so you can go to Kentucky and a pride festival and you'll be around other queer people. It'll be great. And I remember when I was 15, 16, it was like the rite of passage. And like, I bought all this rainbow gear from hot topic and I was ready. Yeah. And I went and it's always in June. It's always like the first weekend in June. And it is always just, asininingly hot outside and it's like a Friday and Saturday in June and Saturday it's all day it's like 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. I don't know where I got my energy and vigor from when I was young but I was there all 12 hours and I was like look at all these queer people this is great but I didn't feel like I was completely within my element because like 99% of the festival was white and there were a lot of alcohol sponsors and Mm -hmm. so there were a lot of things I couldn't do and so it was also very, very cis gay man. And so yeah. it was like, I walked in, I was like, my people. And then like, this white queer cis man runs by in a thong. And I'm like, okay, not my people. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, um, I went through that and I was like, oh, this is great. And like back then I didn't really pay attention to my race uh, because I grew up a lot around a lot of like anti-blackness and it wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily aggressive anti-blackness, but it was like, my proximity to whiteness made white people comfortable enough to accept me. Like, as you can see, absolutely, I speak, quote unquote, proper English, yeah, whatever absolutely. the hell that means. Yeah. So people were like, oh, you're not like other black people. You're articulate, blah, blah, blah. And back then I was like, oh, thank you. But now <laughs> at the age of 28, I'm like, you're a terrible person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, went to Kentucky in a pride parade. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, went every year after that. And then I got to college. And um, I went to a private Catholic college here in the city and all my friends were like, well, wait until you turn 18. Cause we used to have a, a bar slash club down here that was like 18 and up. And if you were between 18 and 20, you could get in with the sponsor. You just couldn't drink after that. It was, it was, small. so, you know, I go and I'm like, this is great. Still surrounded by white people. And I'm like, okay, this is fine. Everybody's drunk. I'm like, eh, you know, so I turned 21, people were like, oh, wait, so you can go to like the real bars, blah, blah, blah. I turned 21, I go through the alcohol culture, like you feel like it's the thing you do. You turn 21, you drink a lot and all that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And even then when I was able to get into those types of bars, I was still surrounded by white people. And then I, as I like grew sexually, I started realizing that um, people were using my skin color as a fetish. And so I was like, yeah. Yes feels weird (laughs) and so um I still go to the bars from time to time but now that I'm older and I have chronic pain and I've like wound down a lot I get I get sensory overload really easily and it's just like there are no black people here everybody's drunk I don't really drink anymore like that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and so growing up in the city of Louisville um it's also very alcohol centric because we're in a place known as bourbon country. And so like Kentucky's super well known for bourbon. Like, right. Uh, oh boy, I can't even, I can't even think of the brands that come out of Kentucky because I don't drink bourbon. Uh, Jim Beam, Old For- Woodford Reserve, Old Forester, like those. Um, so right. bourbon is everywhere in this city. And because of that, like bourbon kind of brings in other alcohols as well. Like El Himador, I think that's 
um, Alhemador, Champor, like all these other different alcohols. And so the city is super, super alcohol centric. And so as I got older, I started going away from drinking, not as a personal, not only as a personal choice, but also as a health choice. Cause mm-hmm. like I have a lot of health problems and alcohol does not make them better. Matter of fact, it makes it worse. Yeah. And so yep. it was just kind of like, eh. and then I kind of started feeling out of place in the LGBT community, not just because of my blackness, oh, excuse me. Um, but also because I just, I don't drink and even with LGBTQ events outside of bars, it's always like, here's some networking, free liquor. And I'm like, I don't, meh. And so it's been yeah. a little bit difficult to grow up in the city of Louisville as a black queer. Um, I'll, I'll say mostly sober because I drink like once a month, maybe. Um, as a black queer woman who also identifies as polyamorous and neurodivergent and has chronic pain. And so one of the big reasons I started the scout team and want to open a physical location is to cater to those people that the alcohol centric LGBTQ life does not cater to. So growing up here was a little bit difficult, but honestly, I wouldn't change it for the world because if I didn't grow up the way that I did, the scout team would have never come to be. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, it, everything that you were saying really makes me think of, um, growing up in Florida um, and mm. just um, as a white person and having like there are almost no black people, no black people uh-huh. that went to school with me. And if they did, they were poor. And so you automatically uh-huh. start assuming that black people have to be poor. And if they're not poor, they're better. So that was the implication, because uh-huh. like you're saying that art- being able to articulate and speak in a certain way gave you a certain status. Uh-huh. Ugh, and it just uh-huh. makes my skin crawl. And then that layered right. on, on like, mm-hmm. there's always this culture. And I'm sure that the South is not, not alone in yeah. this, but just mm-hmm. around like alcohol, especially like my whole family, when we get together, we get together and drink. And uh-huh. um, I have a partner who um, doesn't drink and I don't drink that much anymore because it makes me really sick. Um, uh-huh. And it is like you get made fun of mm-hmm. and like, like, it oh, just, yeah, mm-hmm. it's. It makes the whole thing uncomfortable because yeah. I'm also sober-ish. I drink about once a month as well. And my partner mm-hmm. is sober-ish as well. And then our, our group, we call it the Queer Collective. Um, mm-hmm. We actually met uh, this past Saturday. We were going to go to a nightclub. And then we realized that, like, first of all, it's gay night. So we don't want to <laughs> go to that as we're right. mostly we're femmes and thems. Um mm-hmm. And on top of that, like, none of us drink. So, right. like, what? where are we going to go? So, mm-hmm. like, we, we were actually talking about, like, what it would be like to start a club in town or, like, just a place mm-hmm. in town that is a sober LGBTQ plus space. Mm-hmm. Yes, go for it. I will say it wasn't, it wasn't sober. But um, recently we have a, I don't want to say a company, but we have, like, a, like a, uh, it's like a two-person partnership and they run a, a company slash organization called Gayborhood Events and they just put on LGBTQ events throughout the city. They just hosted a queer prom that was totally free. Unfortunately, it was 21 and up because it was a bar, but they just hosted queer prom and it was a huge hit. So that would definitely be something that would be really popular for you all, especially if you made it accessible for queer youth because oh, absolutely. I feel like almost every LGBTQ person had like a bad or neutral prom experience. 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. 
Um, uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about um, Ciscot tea? Uh, like what, I mean, I know that you mentioned that right now it's um, mostly happening like pop-up event, pop events, mm-hmm. um, but what does like a safe, sober place for LGBTQ plus people, especially people of color um, in the community, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. So for me, um, Ciscat Tea is a safe, sober space for LGBTQ folks in the sense that they will most tangibly, they won't be exposed to any like alcohol or any drugs or anything like that, especially with the opioid crisis and things like that. But it will also be a safe space in the sense that people will be able to outwardly express their identities and be in a space where not only will folks feel safe, but also folks will be held accountable And I think that's one of the things that's lacking in safe spaces. Um, Mm -hmm. People think that safe spaces are like everyone comes together and everybody hugs. No, there's still going to be very problematic people that come into those safe spaces. And so it's not just about having a safe space. It's also about having an accountable space because within the LGBTQ community, there's still racism. There's still fat phobia. There's transphobia. There's biphobia. All of these things that we have to face. So it's not just everybody coming together and holding hands. It's also having that accountability. On top of that, Ciscat Tea wants to be accessible as well. Um, I've noticed personally, not just in the city of Louisville, but kind of all over where I've traveled, a lot of LGBTQ social events aren't accessible for everyone. Either they're not accessible for people who need additional access with mobility. So like not wheelchair accessible or anything along those lines. Mm -hmm. Um, They're also not accessible for those who might be neurodivergent. And so Mm -hmm. I know quite a few people that don't go to bars or clubs or anything because the music's loud, the flashing lights, they can be really overwhelming, particularly with my friends on the autism spectrum. And we also have to take into consideration that those areas do not permit folks under the age of 21 or under the age of 18, depending on the nightclub. Mm -hmm. And so we're leaving behind our LGBTQ youth. And so we also create this age divide because here in the city, we have something called the Louisville Youth Group, which is for LGBTQ youth. But I think the cutoff for them is like 21, 24, one of those. So there isn't really an area where mixed ages can get together. Mm. You know, like if I had been growing up, I would have loved to go somewhere with my mom and my mom's not in the same age range as me. So I want to be able to have an ADA accessible, um, all encompassing space, but also know that problematic folks will be held accountable while also not feeling the pressures of alcohol and narcotic use, if that makes sense. No, that absolutely makes sense. Um, I think that there is a huge um, issue with um, the overabundance of alcohol um, and then also mm. just the overabundance of drugs in general. I think in LGBTQ oh, okay. spaces, um, and I think that overlaps with alcohol and it being mm-hmm. in like more club environments a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, I think there's, there is this real pressure that, you know, once you turn 18 or once you turn 21, you're supposed to go out to these clubs and like be with other queer people. But number one, like I'm an introvert. <laughs> like that <laughs> is like, that. yeah, like that's like not my scene. Um, I have mm-hmm. a lot of anxiety. Um, and so when I'm around a lot of people, I don't like crowded rooms, dark rooms, rooms with flashing mm-hmm. lights and loud music, all that stimulation. I like want to die. The smell of alcohol. Right. right. Yeah. Like none of that is feel safe to me. But what you're right. talking about, these spaces where I could have gone and 
even just like made him had a mentor relationship with an older queer person Mm -hmm. um as a not adult because i i know that does happen a lot and i have like queer mentors who are older than me but it would have been so much nicer (laughs) to know them Um, earlier right yeah um as just as somebody who came into their sexuality like in their mid-20s um mm-hmm. it was like i found my 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 queerness um and gender identity to be kind of almost under socialized because i didn't know mm-hmm. who i could talk to or what to even talk about like you can't mm-hmm. ask questions if you don't know what questions to ask and when that stuff isn't made accessible even with the internet mm-hmm. like again if you don't know the questions to ask you're not going to ask that question yeah and right, so, right. so it almost feels like there's um, along with like social anxiety and accessibility in terms of like ADA accessibility and disability uh-huh. being a part of it. It almost just feels like LGBTQ youth can come off as under socialized in terms of their sexuality oh, and yeah. gender because they don't necessarily have easy access to, you know, trans elders or like. you know older lesbians or people who have experienced so much more and can help guide them down the road exactly and um i recently held a queer erotica night um it was an open mic night like it was last week it was week of valentine's day it was the 11th and um we had really good conversation around that and we talked about how we basically had to grow up and come into ourselves with a lack of education because it's not outwardly taught in our schools. It's not outwardly taught in the community. And so like somebody made the joke like, Oh, I found out about my gender identity and my sexuality through Tumblr. And everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh my god so we started like trading tumblr handles back and forth and so it was like yeah you're absolutely right like i had to learn everything through the internet i didn't learn anything through like outward community or outward education um the closest thing i got to education in the common eye was the l word and i look back on that now and it is very problematic oh yeah absolutely we actually talked about that when when our clear collective met um, people were talking about the L word and I was like, I did not like it. It was very biphobic. No. I rewatched it and but it like, was bad. Like when you were 11 or 12, you were like, that's the life I want to live. That's it. Yeah, that's of course. The dream. Like being surrounded by other queer people. And mm-hmm. back then I didn't even know the word queer existed. And it was like, oh, I want to be that lesbian. Cause I thought I was a lesbian. I was like, I want to be that <laughs> lesbian. And I look back on it now at the age of 28 and I'm like, all of these relationships are toxic and all of you need to go to therapy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely absolutely or like Mm -hmm. from my standpoint where watching tv is really hard for me to do um so i've never watched the l word because for me watching tv is very difficult so like Mm -hmm. i didn't even have i didn't even get to see that media representation you know right yeah so it's just like the things that i learned were through the internet on pinterest and tumblr Mm -hmm. and instagram and facebook and just like talking to people and honestly like Roller Derby was a huge influence because that's where, like, I got to meet a lot of LGBTQ yeah. folks. Shout out to Roller Derby. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think what you said about um, the accountability piece is really important. Um, I think that people within the community and outside of the community really forget mm-hmm. um, that just because you identify as one of the letters <laughs> um, doesn't mean that you're not an asshole. Right. Right. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the most misogynist people I have met are gay men. 
Yes. Oh my God. And a lot of the most biphobic people we've met are lesbians. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. It's, uh, yeah, and and, <laughs> and that's just we could do a whole other episode about. Oh that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's just um like I guess internalized bigotry within our own sexualities yeah. and mm-hmm. genders. Not to mention, mm-hmm. you know, the biggest abusers of AAVE are gay men who are taking black oh, trans well, queer culture. Like, yep. And they're mm-hmm. and like I know a lot of gay men who are super progressive and they're super pro this and pro that and open mm-hmm. openly talking about like you know, addressing fat phobia and this and that and their misogyny while they're going, yes, queen. And I'm like, please just, right, exactly. please just and I've stop. Had really in-depth conversations about things like that. I call that cafeteria culture because they like to go down the line of black culture, similar to when you were in the cafeteria in high school and you slid down along with your tray and you picked the food that you want. And they're like, I want yes, queen. And I want Bantu knots. And I want all of this African-American vernacular English, but you can keep your Black Lives Matter. You can keep your rap. You can keep Mm -hmm. all of your Black oppression and struggle. You can keep your affirmative action because that's not fair. You can keep your white privilege. Mm -hmm. And so it's like you're picking and choosing exactly what you want. You're just eating off of the dessert table and I need you to eat some vegetables is essentially what is going on with white culture in regards to utilizing black culture and Mm -hmm. appropriating it. So Mm -hmm. I have my own thoughts. (laughs) No, I really loved how you just said that. I think that was, I think like the metaphors that you just used were very good. If you don't mind, I would like to take that and use that to describe that to people because it, I'm I'm trying to come up with the language of saying to other white people, what you're, the words that you're using are not okay and you need Mm -hmm. to be addressing it. But I don't I didn't have the right language to do it. And I right. I really like that cafeteria culture thing going on right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so how um, how did you decide that this was something that you wanted to do? I know you've talked a lot about like the need for um, these different types of spaces, but kind of what put you on the path to making Cisco tea? Mm-hmm. So. Um, I am, so I am a Leo, so I'm super dramatic and have really big dreams and then I never act on them. That's, that's yep. I know work. someone who apply that applies to very much over in uh, are you looking the other side of the room who is a, who is a Leo, Leo cusp. <laughs> it's, uh, I always have big dreams and I'm like, Oh, then I have to do work. Never mind. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm feeling called out right now. <laughs> It was like 2009, 2010, and I was an undergrad, and I was sitting with a bunch of my friends, and I have loved puns ever since I was little, and so I love puns, and I love dad jokes, and I was sitting with a bunch of my friends, and like 90% of us identified as LGBTQ, and I said, y'all, what if, what if, level with me on this, what if we opened a bakery with LGBTQ-themed baked goods and desserts and named it? pie curious and people were like oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> like, like oh, that's really cute and i'm like yeah i know right and then i was like oh i don't really know how to bake and that's a lot of work never mind <laughs> so then a few days later i just sometimes i just mow through different puns i can make and i was like y'all what if and they were like oh god not another one i was like what if we had a tea shop or a coffee shop in town called lgbt <laughs> and people were like oh that's cute uh-huh I was like, yeah, that's cute. And for some reason, that idea never really went away. Like I put it in the back of my brain, but I never really dismissed it completely like my baked good 
shop, which I will never do because that's a lot of work. Someone else wants to open it. Go ahead. Share a building. <laughs> but um, I went through undergrad and I went through like getting my first big, big girl job and all these things. And that really went away. That thought really never went away. And uh, excuse me. I kept thinking about like the places that people hang out and I started getting into different LGBTQ friend groups and I would be like, Hey, let's go to the bar, blah, blah. And then half of them would be like, eh, you know? And so, um, I have social media, I have a Facebook and I post on Facebook. Hey y'all, where do LGBTQ people hang out in this city? And I was inundated with answers and they were all bars. It was yeah. like a lot of the, it was like all local bars. It was like teddy bears, triangles, persuasions, connections, play Louisville, and like all these other bars that are like LGBTQ focused. I was like, okay. And so I was like, that reinforces my point. So then a few days later, I was like, hey, would you all hang out at like a sober LGBTQ designated space, like a coffee shop or a cafe? And I was inundated with answers of yes, yes, God, please, yes. And I was like, noted. The retirement that I got, like I was able to take it with me. I saved up a lot in my retirement. And so I focused on my health and all these these things. And I was like, um, it's like Sylvia Plath with the figs. Like I was presenting mm-hmm. all these figs. And one fig was to become a teacher. And one fig was to, you know. And one of those figs was to open a coffee shop or silver space. And so I was like, I'm going to open a coffee shop. And Louisville has a lot of like independently owned coffee shops and things like that. I was mm-hmm. like, okay. We don't have a really good place where you can sit down and have tea. We used to have a retail tea space, but like you could go in, buy loosely tea and leave. Like right. there wasn't really like a sit down kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. And so it took me three weeks to apply for a business license because I would get all the way to the end of the application and I would go to hit the submit button. I would freak out and then I would close everything out because I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. If I hit the submit button, it makes it real. And I was talking to one of my friends and she's like, girl, if you don't do it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> August 2nd, 2019, I hit the submit button and Siscott T was a registered business. And I hit the submit button at 201. I messaged my friend and I said, what the hell have I done? <laughs> <laughs> and so then I like slowly built, I built the Facebook page first and I launched it. And I was like, hey guys, I'm starting a business. And like, Everybody in their grandma was like, oh, my God. And so I started a Kickstarter shortly after that, like after I got like a bank account for the business stuff. And I was like, hey, I'm trying to raise $6,000 in 60 days. Let's see if we can do it. And I was like, I'm not going to meet this goal. It's fine. And the way Kickstarter works is that either you raise all of the money or you don't get any of it. Mm-hmm. And so I made a really modest goal. And so um, I ended up raising the $6,000 in about 10 days. And I had 50 days left of the campaign. Long story short, um, the local newspaper picked me up and that blew up. And I ended up raising over $10,000 for a space that doesn't even exist yet, which goes to show how sorely needed it is It is in this city. So this got tea came about because of a random pun that I made over a decade ago. And here we are now. <laughs> um, I... Oh, man, I think that's really illustrative, that whole process of like um, uh, somebody that I know pretty well. <laughs> Why are you looking at me? Um, but I'm I, like, I'm so glad that that you did go through with it. And I think it's it really speaks to um, the amount of support that you got from your community really speaks to a, a need. Um, and I think that need 
applies board um, for LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. communities because there aren't a lot of these sober spaces because just in like listening to you talk more and more, I'm thinking like we have like youth centers, we have like health centers or you have like bars and that's right. it. Mm-hmm. And I, I do yeah. fucking other things than like, like I don't want, I don't like, like other than need have health needs or like want to go out and like party. Right. Like I want to just like mm-hmm. play a board game. <laughs> right. Like I, I want to be able to go and socialize without having to drink alcohol and also not be stared at. Yes. Yes. Right. Exactly. You know, and like, I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with this where, you know, you walk into a place with your partner and you're like, is this a safe place for us to hold hands? Oh yeah. Or like, Mm -hmm. is this a safe place for us to like snuggle up onto like our booth together and like just chat and hang out while we drink our teas or whatever or coffees or whatever you're doing. And Uh it would just be so, it just just seems so, I don't even know what the correct word is. Like, I guess almost like welcoming and almost like a dream to just be able to go sit in a space that you could just order a coffee, order a tea, get, I don't know, like a donut or something and just cuddle up with your partner and enjoy your time together. Yeah, and not have to worry about your safety or... Right. Without having people like give you the side eye or whatever, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so in thinking about teas in particular, um, I was wondering mm-hmm. what your favorite kind of tea drink is. So right now, so fun fact, I did not start out as a connoisseur. Um, I started out Googling about different teas because I started with like, I grew up in the South. Yeah, that's thing. like the only kind um, of but tea. then I like, moved on. I moved on to Earl Grey with a lot of lemon, honey and sweetener. And um, as I've like met wholesalers and things like that, currently I have a tea blend. And right now I get all my tea wholesale. I'm working on creating my own blend. I have a blend called White Passion, and it is a white tea with passion fruit, strawberry, and other dried fruit pieces, and it is amazing. I also have a marigold tea. It's a mango marigold tea. Mm-hmm. It's green tea with literal mango mango pieces mm-hmm. and marigold petals in it, and that is absolutely wonderful. So I'm more of a, a fruity, sweet, flowery mm-hmm. tea kind of person. So um, I... I try to buy teas from um, Ivy's Tea Company. Um, mm-hmm. They're yeah, so incredible. Um, I um, and I just love that it's also like woman owned because they have a lot of teas around yeah. like women's health and like menstruation um, and like mm-hmm. helping with like inflammation that can come with that. And um, their nettle yeah. tea is like one of the best I've ever had. Um, mm-hmm. And I um and I'm not a huge like tea drinker either, but I just love I'm also weirdly very interested in herbology. And so I love like that they put a lot of thought behind the things Mm -hmm. that they put in the teas and they explain all of them. Um, And so don't make I don't know why you're making a pouty face. I'm making a pouty face because tea actually gives me a really bad tea in general. That doesn't make any. Oh, most most teas, most teas. teas. Yeah. I can have green tea. What about herbal about teas? Oh, okay. like, have you tried all the herbs? Perhaps it's the caffeine I can because green tea is very low in caffeine. Yeah, that's it's like it's weird. So I can only have really green tea and 
like a chamomile. And it depends on the chamomile mm, okay. because otherwise it is too strong for me. And then I get an instant I, migraine. I, I so that I'm, oh. I'm pouting over here because I'm like, I want to talk about teas, but they make me <laughs> sick. I'm a migraine sufferer as well. So please don't put yourself in <laughs> So I just, I find it so, I guess like interesting and enthralling and I'm amazed and inspired by the fact that like you saw this need and you're filling it and you're filling it by working with Oh, the see how that works? Mm-hmm. You just like ask people what they want right. and need right. and then they answer. Right, right, exactly. And it's just so weird. Yeah, nobody really asks. Yeah. I mean, and maybe that's how like maybe that's how the LGBTQ community has become so centered around clubs and alcohol is because we just assume that that's what people want. And I mean, people are going to fight me, but I don't really care Um, that I think it's all like white gay men, like rich men who have started this. Like Mm -hmm. I when I think of that, them like it's like always like minimal clothing, usually foam, lots of alcohol and like loud music. And like, that's not what I want. Right. Right. I think I think like. I think the advent of marriage equality also kind of led to like, we got marriage equality. Okay, that's it. We can just yeah. like party now. Right, exactly. And everybody's not. No, we have a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, we have a long, long way to go. And it's like, nobody, and it's like, what is, what's that saying? Nobody's free until we're all free. Nobody's right, equal until we're right. all equal. And it's like, no, we still have a long way to go. Um. So... We only have one more question for you. Um, is there anything else that you want sure. to make sure that you mention before we close up? Um, I just want to mention a lot of people have reached out to me, like asking like, oh, it's black owned and LGBTQ owned and woman owned. Does that mean as a straight person or as a white person, et cetera, et cetera, that I'm not allowed in that space? Yes. We accept everybody. Um, we accept everybody at our pop-up events. We accept everybody in our future physical space. We just want you to respect the space and respect the need for that space and respect the identities that are going to be mostly present in that space. And the reason that we emphasize that it's Black-owned, LGBTQ-owned, and woman-owned is because those identities have been systematically oppressed over the years and even Mm -hmm. now. And so to reclaim those oppressed, like marginalized identities and to use them proudly to open something that the city of Louisville so sorely needs, that is the main focus. It's not about excluding others. It's about taking those marginalized identities that once gave us shame and reclaiming them into something pride. So I just want to absolutely. And I think that's where um, also that accountability piece comes in, like. I think it's wonderful that you're being so welcoming to everybody, but also like there are boundaries and like mm-hmm. there's a there's going to be a sense of accountability. So if you come in acting like an asshole, no matter who you are, like you're going to be held accountable. Right. Mm. I'm going to be asked to leave. And one of the questions that keeps coming up with like friends and things like that is, well, what if somebody comes in with like a Make America Great Again and they want to buy tea? And at first I'm like, oh, I throw them out. If they want to spend money on a pro LGBTQ, pro black, pro woman space, then yeah, take their money. Yeah, I mean that's take called their capitalism. Money. Like, that's so, <laughs> and that's what they're fighting for, right? <laughs> they're fighting for, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Like, you want to make America great again? Thanks for your five ninety five. Really appreciate it. <laughs> I, I think, I, I think yeah, that that's a great yeah. policy. 
one hundred percent. Um, I was right. just looking at your website. Uh, well, your Kickstarter. Um, it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, is it still live? Can people still donate money to it? No, the Kickstarter closed. Okay, we are working on. I say we, but it's um, the only. It's just the royal we. <laughs> But we, <laughs> we are working on a website and on that website, which will be the website itself will be launched by the 28th of this month. The online store will be launched by the 7th of March because um, I need time to like work out pricing mm-hmm. and things like that. But on the website, you'll be able to make donations via um, PayPal is going to be what we use PayPal. And then if I can get other other avenues, I will. So I am super excited. It is a labor of love that's just looking through my website. And like the header on my website says Black Fruit and Queer Fruit. And I'm really excited to watch that. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) That's awesome. Thanks for listening. Um, We hoped you enjoyed this interview as much as we did. We had a great time. Um, Be sure to send us an email if you have um, any stories or pictures of cats like Alfonso. Um, our email is fraupowpodcast at gmail.com, um, where you can find us on social media at fraupowpodcast. And remember, friends, don't, don't be, be a dick. dick. You had me second guessing.